What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadi. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, a podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl. And for today's episode, we are discussing the 1997 film Oscar and Lucinda that starred Kate and Ray Fiennes and was directed by Gillian Armstrong. And my guest is Andy Stewart. Hi, Andy. Hi. How are you? Good. Oscar and Lucinda, which is one of the very few K movies that I have, haven't seen. So this is the first time I saw this movie last night, but I was talking to you and you said that you liked it. So was this, since this was before Elizabeth, mm -hmm. was this your first time that you saw Kate? No, so Elizabeth actually was my first introduction to Kate, like most people. So I saw it in the theater and I was like, who is this actress? And when I was younger, I became very obsessed with actresses. Like when I would see them, I'd be like, I love this person. I have to know everything about them. I have to see everything that they've ever been in. And so after Elizabeth, I saw it, I think, well, I was living in Ohio. So like it was opening weekend for Ohio, but it was like two months after it had actually yes. been like out. <laughs> and then um, I was like, she so, was probably Oscar nominated already by then. Well, not yet. It was like technically, it was like December. So okay. she, it was like the buzz of like, who is this person? So I saw her and I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. I love everything about her. So then I was like, but who is she? So then I had to go back and I saw that she had done Paradise Road. And I saw that she had done this movie, Oscar and Lucinda. And I honestly hadn't heard of Oscar and Lucinda until I became like enamored with her and tried to figure out like who she was. This was also the early days of the internet. So you couldn't just like Google someone and find out everything about them. So like there was the internet, but it wasn't like in our <laughs> pocket that you were like, let me see everything about her. Yeah. Catherine Elise Blanchett was born. <laughs> you had to go find back issues of Entertainment Weekly or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then also I got them from the library. That's how I saw them, like VHS copies from the library. So I got Oscar and Lucinda. I got um, Paradise Road. That's dedication. I know, right? So I saw, I, so I watched Oscar and Lucinda that way after I had already seen Elizabeth. So I was like familiar with who she was. And I just, at the time, I really liked it. I really loved it. I thought it was very romantic. I thought it was very like, epic. I thought it was a literary adaption that just felt like it had all the, this like heaving emotions with it. But I do have to say, I did not feel the same way re-watching it this all time. Right. So we'll talk about that. Yes. But I have this one thing that we can mention about Oscar and Lucinda and Elizabeth is that Shaker Kapoor, who directed Elizabeth, saw stills of the movie or the trailer of Oscar and Lucinda or something. And that's why he cast Kate and Elizabeth. So we actually have to thank this movie for Elizabeth. I mean, Kate is such a talent that she would have broke out with something else if it wasn't Elizabeth. But it was a direct result of this film. Just from stills, though? I think it was just from stills. I think Emily, Emily Watson was cast or they uh, were negotiating with her or something. And he's like, nope, changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Watson was going to be Elizabeth? Yeah. Hmm. 
I'm glad that Kate got it instead. I know, right? I love Watson, but like I do too. I but I, I really can't see her. no because she doesn't have like that power. She doesn't have that presence that like Kate Blanchett can command. Yeah, like the hurricane. Yeah, she can command. <laughs> she can't command the wind like Kate does. So, what is your favorite Kate performance? I would probably have to say Elizabeth. I haven't seen it in a while, and when I like listen to your podcast about it I was like oh maybe it isn't a good movie I don't remember but I remember at the time when I saw it that I loved it and because it is my first introduction to Kate it has that like special place in my heart mine too exactly she's so good in it yeah. like the movie might not be good debatable but she is really great in it she's great in it yeah and it is the reason why a lot of us love her so yeah. yes that's still there You can change your mind 21 years into a love affair. <laughs> so what do you think of when you think of Kate? Um, I think of one of our best actresses working today. Um, everyone says she's the new Meryl Streep because um, she's so chameleon-like. Because she does do, she has that dichotomy of like being able to do, have the emotion behind the performance, but then she also is able to bring that. The technique. Techni yeah, the technique. technicality, yes. <laughs> like she trained, she went to um, the Australian Institute of Dramatic, Dramatic Arts. Art. <laughs> yeah, she spent five years doing stage work before she even did film work. I used to be an actor once upon a time, and I took a like, um, a one-off class with like an Australian person and he was like, the reason the Australian people are such great actors is because they've harnessed the emotions that Americans have and the technicality that the British have and they've married it to form this, this perfect union of <laughs> acting. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you think that Kate has that, right? I do think she has that, yeah. But let's start digging into our film this week, Oscar and Lucinda. So Oscar and Lucinda was released in 1997. It's directed by Gillian Armstrong, who at that point was coming off Little Women, which yes. was a huge hit. Mm -hmm. Just a I couple love of women. Yes, just a couple of years before this, and of course she did the My Brilliant Career with Judy Davis, which was I think her big breakout. And then she worked with Kate again in Charlotte Gray a few years after this. But Oscar and Lucinda is about Oscar, played by Ray Fiennes, who's a priest. Well, minister. A minister? Okay, a minister. Yeah, because I think priests are only in the Catholic Church, and he is, like, Anglican, or, like... Yes, or He has that scene where he, has, like, goes off to the Anglicans, which were less prudish than whatever mm -hmm. sect his father was. Yes. And Kate is Lucinda, who is an Australian heiress, and they both love to gamble, and this is how they meet, uh, because they both love to gamble, and then the movies about this bet they make against each other, they both bet their fortune, or their inheritance, in sort of delivering this glass church from somewhere in Australia to somewhere even deeper into Australia. It's, it's, it, the movie, the, the plot is crazy. It like, is it crazy. Is... And a little vague. Yeah. Like you can tell it was based on a novel because they're like, we have to put all of this in it, but then they don't really explain how we get to those points, I feel like. Yeah. But I mean, the, I think the thrust of the narrative is that they are these, like he's a priest and she's a woman. So in the 18th century, so they both have these institution, institutional sort of restraints on their life. 
and the gambling is sort of the adventurous, lively thing that they both want to do, but because he's a priest and she's a woman, they can't do. So I mm-hmm. guess that's what the narrative is about. Forget the church and all the other, the glass church and all the other things. Well, it's two oddballs that like have found each other in this crazy world and like feel like they fit together, I feel like. I think yeah. that's like what the the narrative arch is. Yes. And this movie is weird in that it starts with them as children and is narrated mm-hmm. by Jeffrey Rush. I don't know why. Who plays, I <laughs> guess... Because he's Australian. Why not? <laughs> I guess, yes, he's Australian. And the movie has all these Australian actors. So Richard Roxborough, who has worked with Skate on stage a lot, including on Broadway and in Sydney and mm-hmm. everywhere, is the villain. Like, he was in Moulin Rouge. And... I think that's all he plays, right? <laughs> In movies, yes. Yeah. He plays different things on stage. And so every Australian actor is in it. But it starts with them as children, and Jeffrey Rush, the narrator, is, I guess, Oscar's grandchild or child? Grandchild. Grandchild. Yeah. So he's narrating this about how he came to be, I guess, which is funny because it's his grandfather's story. So it ends not with him being born, but with his father being born. And so, because they started them as children, Kate doesn't appear until 13 minutes in when they cut to older Lucinda, or mm-hmm. I guess. Is she a teenager in her early 20s? I'm not quite sure. I think she's still supposed to be younger, like early teens. Um, but because the scenes are so young, they're just like, oh, she can sell it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And she does. I mean, Kate looks very young here, you know. She does look so young, right? Yeah. Yes. Like baby-faced. Baby-faced. She's still got all that fat in her baby I face. Know. Even her famous cheekbones are not, not yet developed. I know. And there's like scenes where she's like reading letters and I was like, does Kate Blanchett have a double chin? Oh my God. <laughs> and it's her old teeth, even though her old teeth are in Elizabeth too. So yeah, so she's very, very young in it. And she does pass for the teenage mm. Lucinda. So I thought basically this was kind of a very odd eccentric tale. Just you know, we just talked about this plot, which is a crazy plot. Yeah. And so the whole movie is like that. Well, it's based on a book that won the Man Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. In By 19- Peter Carey. Yeah, that, uh, back in 1988. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that at the time the book was like a huge hit. Otherwise, like, it wouldn't have won these prizes or like at least that people were interested enough to like mm-hmm. buy the rights to turn it into a movie. I guess it had been like kicking around for a little bit because Gillian Armstrong wasn't the first person to get it. Someone else, I forget who it was, had the rights initially, but they I think couldn't. It's John Schlesinger. They couldn't make it work, so then she took it over, and so the movie came out almost ten years after the book, which mm-hmm. is not really like the time to strike. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, did people even know what that book was in 1997 at that point? So I think that they tried to put so much of that book into the story that that's why it's very strange. (laughs) And that's the thing with adaptations, right? Because books um, are about the language. Mm -hmm. And when you translate to language to cinema, it it doesn't always translate and sometimes you're just bogged down in the plot. Yeah. And so it becomes just a strange plot. Well, then also they have... Jeffrey Rush doing the voiceover narrative Mm -hmm. because I think it wasn't a novel. And so like the language was probably beautiful in the Mm -hmm. novel. So that's, that's how they kept it in. They were just like, we're just going to literally read from the novel now. But you liked this movie when you saw it back in the day. So tell me why you liked it then. 
so I really did like it back in the day. Um, and I can still see like the parts of it that I liked, but the reason I loved it is because I thought it was so, it was like a tragic love story. And so I was really into those when I was younger. Like I saw Titanic like 12 times in the theater, which was mm -hmm. the same year, but I, I was like obsessed with these like tragic love stories, which probably explains why I've been single for most of my adult life. Um, <laughs> but I just thought that like, that's what romance was. You had to suffer. Like, it, oh, it was just so beautiful. And I also loved like how lyrical, like watching that glass church, like float down the river was. But now watching it, I just feel like that love story, I don't buy it. I feel like it's a plot point that they put onto it because that's what it is. But I don't feel, first of all, I feel like Ray Fiennes is very asexual in this. So I don't, I feel like... Is it because he's a priest or, you know... <laughs> I don't know. He's just so like mannered in the whole thing. Like he has all these ticks and like all these hand gestures around his face. And, and he's just... playing the character a bit childlike. Yeah. And I'm not buying it this time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Kate's doing a lot of heavy lifting because I believe it on her end. I believe that she is in love with Oscar, but I don't feel anything from him. I do like the two, the way that the two play off each other. I just don't see romance between the two. Of them. My, my problem with the romance was that it's such a small part of the film. Yeah. They, the film starts with them as children. They don't meet until 40 minutes into this two-hour movie. And then they're together very, for a short amount of time. And then he goes on this expedition. Yeah. Where, and then we lose Kate. And then forever. Forever. <laughs> and then we have to follow him while he's taking this glass church through a war even it's, it's not a real it's not a war war but it's kind of warlike yeah and then you're just like what is happening where is the romance where is kate so it's such a condensed time in the film and this is why i don't think the romance worked for me although i do think that part in the middle of the movie where they meet mm -hmm. is the best part of the film like i love that first scene where they play off each other, where she goes and asks him, because he's a priest, she's like, will you hear my confession? And then he goes and finds her, and then they start the confession because they're both gamblers, and she knows that he's a gambler, and he knows, maybe he knows she's a gambler too, and so she's confessing to him, but she basically wants to play him, and he wants to play her. It's such a great scene, and they play off each other so well there. Well, that's why she sees him initially, because she knows that he's a gambler. Like, when she pretends, she, like, pretends to bump into him, mm -hmm. and then is like, oh, do you take confession? And, um, yeah. like, she's just playing with him because she knows that she can get him to come and gamble with her. Yeah, so I think they could have done more of that. That playfulness is, they, they're both... It's, the best thing they both do yeah. in this movie. And I guess Kate, because she's not in the big, huge part that they go on that expedition, she she gets to be playful for most of her time on screen. But then Rafe gets bogged down in all the other things he has to do. And those are not as interesting as this interplay between them. And I think the chemistry between them, maybe to your point, because his performance as this piece is a little childlike, that it's not brimming with fire but it is playful and fun to watch yeah i do love that scene where they're playing off of each other and she has that line where she is confessing that i i love when she plays with her voice and she's like i i 
I was gambling, I did this. She was like, I even tried to convince someone to take me to a cockfight. They wouldn't do it, of course, but I would have gone. And it's just like, like the way that she does her voice, like drops her voice. She's like, but I would have gone. I love it. Yeah. She's always an amazing actor with voice. Impeccable. You know, we just did an episode on Benjamin Button. And this is like a theme I found with Kate is that Carol aside, the love stories that she's in are always weird. And they- <laughs> Well, maybe she doesn't want to do just like a straight love story. I think that's probably it. They're probably boring though, right? Like you get a million script that's just like, they're in love and it works out great. Or like, it doesn't work out great, but it's just like so conventional that she probably wants to do something a little weird. Yeah, totally. Because Benjamin Button is weird. And even Carol, (laughs) which is an epic romance, it's also about so many other things. And then you have something like... Little Fish, which is her Australian movie, which is not entirely a love story, but the love story is a big part of it. But also it's about somebody in recovery. So she never goes for straight love stories. Mm -hmm. And I guess I liked the love story. I thought it was not the love story, but just them together was the best part of the film. So I wanted more of that. Yeah. Well, even that playful scene where like they're washing the floor together do you remember? And they're yeah. like trying to see who can like reach the middle of the floor the fastest. Like that was such a cute, like them playing off of yeah. each other. I mean, it did, it like stops the plot dead in its tracks, but it was such like a fun scene that I didn't mind. Yeah. And the thing is when you have actors as charismatic as Kate and Ray Fiennes, you, you should stop the plot and give us a couple more scenes with them playing off of each other. The other thing that I liked is that this is a costume drama and it's and it's very of those 90s costume dramas. Definitely. Like you see like the way the camera moves, the you know, the meticulous costumes, but I think the performances and just the way they move, their body moves in this movie mm-hmm. is not like costume dramas. Like if you see Kate moving like her, she lifts her skirts up and she's on the floor. And Rafe is doing this, you know, child priest and his face is going left and right and up and down and everything. So they do not look like, you know, masterpiece theater, which was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, also she has her bloomers. So you already know that she's not your typical lady. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And this is the other thing that I think this maybe why Gillian Armstrong was attracted to this because Mm -hmm. the... The part of Lucinda is this feminist woman in a time where to be a woman was very hard. Mm-hmm. And that's the thrust of the narrative for that character. And it's it makes this an odd but understandable companion to the director of My Brilliant Career, which is also about a woman from around that time who was trying to be a feminist, or just not to be a feminist, but just trying to live a full life as a woman. Yeah. Well, especially because she becomes a business owner in the film as well, which I'm sure there weren't a lot of women in Sydney that were owning businesses that she, like, owned outright. I'm still not entirely sure what that... Siren Hines, his character, like, how does he even play into any of this? Like, he just kind of... (laughs) He kind of just shows up, and then, like, he's her confidant. And I was like... He's another clergyman, right? Yeah, but it's just like, where did he come from? And, like, who is he? Yeah, I I don't know, but he is a friend of hers, and they have good chemistry together as as friends. Um, But yeah, and then he disappears, and then he just comes at the end to tidy up the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So I think I I read online that this 
part was originally meant for Judy Davis. Mm -hmm. And then they were looking at a lot of name actresses at the time. Kate did a test because at that time she was becoming famous in, in Australia, on Australian stages. And so she did a test and they decided to go with her. And there is this quote from Gillian Armstrong that she gave to the New York Times. And she said, we were looking for someone who wasn't quite conventional. Kate has this slightly magic quality as if she can be transported into other worlds. And I think that is that is the essence of this performance. Mm-hmm. Because this woman is Lucinda is unlike any other person in the in the movie. Yes, Oscar is also quirky and strange and an oddball, but Lucinda is that, but also she is grounded more in reality. So she can fly into magic spells and be otherworldly, but she's also a real person, which I never felt that Oscar was. Do you agree with that? I do. I feel like but I feel like Kate is given more with the character to make it feel like a real person. What I love about that character too is like her obsession with glass because glass has kind of this like ephemeral like fairy quality to it, especially with like the reason she became enamored with glass is because of the Prince Rupert drop, which Mm -hmm. just like seems like it came from like fairies or something like that. So she already has like that built into the character to be like this little, a little mystical, a little magical. But then I feel because Kate is able to make characters like grounded in reality, she does bring that to it. And I feel that Rafe is like too busy, like trying to be something that he's not. Like, it was his first movie after English Patient. So I think he was just eager to be like, I can do other things, too. I'm not just, like, this romantic lead. And I can be weird and quirky. And I just think that he's, like, in his head so much that it's, like, it doesn't... It's not the same level. You know what? I think you nailed it on the head. I actually didn't think that this was his follow-up to English Patient. I looked it up, yeah. And now that you mention it, he's totally doing the anti-English Patient. He's like, everything that you saw me in last year, smoldering, you know, obsessed, repressed, sexy, all these things, I'm going to be the opposite. So, yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. He's (laughs) definitely being anti-Count Almaji. (laughs) Shall we play? Yes. If you were bad. My inheritance. I cannot believe it. We are mad to think of it. No, no, we are not mad. We, 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 no, no, I forbid this. So do we have to talk about his journey, which I found like there is rape and murder and pillaging and he goes on, he takes the, he takes the glass church, the bat to, to transport it. Mm-hmm. But then he goes with Richard Roxborough, who plays the villain, who then him and his, uh, I guess, army cronies are um, murdering and raping indigenous Australians. And I just thought it was like a weird tangent. And I'm not saying that you don't show that, and I'm sure it was in the book, and these things obviously happened in Australia at that time. But it also, like, I don't know how it fit with the story. Especially because they don't explore it, really. Because, like, the whole... They're in, like, a... a a bar and there you like see through a curtain you see this aboriginal woman that they're mm-hmm. taking turns raping but you don't like it's like behind this curtain still like everything's like oh discreet yeah like can, uh, maybe this is happening but it doesn't it's not like overt and then like it's never addressed like he you can tell that he's annoyed by what's happening but he never like confronts them about like how mm-hmm. He confronts them by killing him. That's how he confronts him. He but by, ac- but yeah. by accident. 
So it's not even addressed. Like, I feel like they're trying to say something about the Aboriginal people, but they're not. It's such a, like. It's skin deep. It's surface. It's, yeah. They're not really exploring it. It's, they're, they're not going deep. And it's it, yeah. so late in the film, too, that it doesn't feel like it's something that they even want to explore but it's it probably was in the novel so they're yeah. like oh let's we have to throw this in and then for a movie that's called oscar and lucinda then you spend this whole time without lucinda and we just thought that lucinda is the performance you know i am not impartial kate will always be the performance i'm looking <laughs> to see more of but i just think when you have a movie called Oscar and Lucinda, and it is about these people getting together and finding that they're both eccentric and finding this love of gambling, which is a scene that stands for, I guess, just freedom from societal norms. They find this thing, and then you put them together, and then 20 minutes later, you're just like, nope, let's let's divide them and, you know, and follow yeah. Oscar on this trip. I thought the same thing this time. Um, like, once they find out that they're in love with each other they have a very awkward kiss and then he leaves and then she like reads one letter for like this long stretch of time where she's like oh you always had my trust and then that's it like she has like two seconds within like 45 minutes of him like i'm gonna bring this church up yeah and that's it like the kiss it's such a a chaste little kiss that um there is no fire there is nothing there like if they are really if we're supposed to believe the end of the movie where she's basically mourning the love of her life and you know kate does it well but still like the film doesn't allow this love to blossom like i think we need a little bit more of the love story before he leaves like i get it he needed to go on that trip and they needed to be separated but spend more time for them get them deeper into the love affair it doesn't they don't have to consummate the love but they could they could at least show us what they're feeling for each other. Well, I feel like Lucinda is younger than Oscar. Well, Kate obviously was younger than Rafe when they filmed it, but I feel like she is selling it because it feels like a young love for her. Like it's like probably her first love. So that's why it feels like more passionate on her end and not so much on his end. Mm -hmm. Um, also, when they kiss, he keeps being fidgety and weird. That I'm just like, can you calm down for a second? Like, just let the mo- let the moment happen. But he he's just like, I have quirks. But then also at the end, when she does like take over and raises his son, I feel like she realizes maybe that love was always like a friendship, like a kindred spirit, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the great love of her life. Yeah. I, I feel like it shifts. Yeah. I really like them acting together, even though I, you know, like we talked about, they didn't go deep enough, which, which makes me surprised that why, how come they never acted together again? The thing is, you know, a she year, had her brother, his brother, yeah, yeah. the lesser fine. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I think it's probably she became too big a star for him because the next year she became, she got Elizabeth and became very famous. And, you know, probably at that time they were of equal stature mm-hmm. and then... When you are of equal stature, men don't usually like to act like opposite women of the same stature. They would like to act with somebody new or somebody younger or somebody who's not as big as them. Well, also, I feel like English Patient was like peak Rafe mm-hmm. and he never really like took off from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had some good performances here and there, but well, it was yeah. never sustainable as like he's he's a top star or a top actor. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not like a a movie star Mm. caliber. Yes. 
Well, and while Kate became one. Yes. Even if her movies don't always work, she's always been a star. Uh, the costumes are by one of my favorite costume designers. I love her work, Janet Patterson, and it was the film's only Oscar nomination, right? Mm-hmm. And this was 1997, so the other nominees were... Titanic, which one? Amistad, Kundun, and Wings of the Dove. Those are all very costume-heavy movies. And very, like, period piece, too. Yes. Like, there's no fantasy there. It's just like, well, Titanic... Well, I mean, that was going to win because it was, like, steamrolling for every category. But Amistad and Oscar in the Cinder are kind of similar time periods, too. They're both, yeah. like, um, mid-1800s. And Wings of the Dove is also another period piece that's set in the 1800s, which I feel like the costumes in this were not memorable, though. And I feel like a lot of times the costume design nominations are just, like, because it's a period piece that yeah. gets in. Because the work is elaborate, exactly. right? They have to create everything from scratch yeah. and do research and things like that, yes. I like Janet Patterson, so I think she's a great costume designer. And while I, to your point here, they were not memorable, I just felt that they fit the actors and they fit the story. Mm -hmm. And I like that they didn't look... Because sometimes in costume dramas, you look at the costumes and they look like brand new. Yeah. Or they look like... But these looked lived in. Mm -hmm. Like, they looked like these people wore these clothes down. And I did love her bloomers. Where she comes down the stairs and she's like, you were right about the navy blue. <laughs> and maybe that's why it was nominated for an Oscar. Because that's a, that's the scene where the camera zooms into the all over the costume, top to bottom. Yeah. Oh, and then the one scene where he like, where um, Oscar cradles her black and white striped boots for some reason and pretend like they're a baby because, you know, business. Yes. But I would have loved to have seen um, Boogie Nights nominated for costume for that. Like, it's another period piece technically, but it's In the 70s, like, yeah. Yeah, but it's a little more like the costumes fit, like the characters more in a way that I feel like costume dramas this way don't necessarily do. Yeah, and that was a movie with so many characters and so many costumes. Exactly. So I'm surprised it was ignored. And it was a movie that Oscars loved because they nominated it for other things. This film, like, we love Kate and Rafe together. We love Kate, what she did. Um, I think there is there is some memorable quotes in the film, right? Yeah, and I think that... I, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I feel like this quote probably came directly from the novel because it just sound it has like a wordplay that just like sounds good together. Um, and Jeffrey Rush does it. It's pretty early on in the film. And he says, in order that I exist, two gamblers, one obsessive, one compulsive must meet. Yeah. And so he's telling us here because he's the the grandchild of Oscar and as we find out in the story later his father was raised by Lucinda after Oscar dies spoiler <laughs> <laughs> so that's and I you know I love to your point I love it because when he says one obsessive one compulsive and they do play that and they play it well and which one is obsessive and which one is compulsive <laughs> I love the wordplay I love that line but the whole time, like, as I've been thinking about it, I'm like, but which one is which? They equally have, like, the same gambling addiction, I feel like. I'm trying to 
figure out which one is the compulsive and which one is the obsessive. I think Oscar is compulsive because there is that scene where he's like, it's been two weeks and I haven't, you know, picked up a card. And so he's like, and when he starts, he can't stop. And maybe Lucinda is the obsessive because she is obsessed with glass and loves glass. and She does have an obsessive personality. Yeah. But I feel like it could be either or. It could yeah. go either way, which is why I'm like, that, which is why I also like that line because it's like, oh, they're both like, they play off of each other, both obsessive compulsive, <laughs> but they've decided that one is one and the one is the other. Yeah. <laughs> and back, you know, back to that confession scene. I think that's the best part. I just wish there were more of those scenes. The other thing that I really loved is the, just the characterization of Lucinda herself as a headstrong, you know, gung-ho woman trying to... You know, she's an early prototype of a feminist. And mm -hmm. I think that's a reason to watch this film. Because that is there in the text. It's there in the performance. And I think it's there in what Gillian Armstrong was interested in. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is like the opposite of what we said of what we liked, is that I think there's a mashup of tones. Like the part of it that I really liked is this eccentric odd oddball comedy which i think is very australian film like mm -hmm. they always have a very eccentric way of like presenting things with like mixed tones yeah but then that worked but then you know the part where you know it becomes kind of a war story that doesn't work and then when they're trying to tell us like the sweeping burst death story that's also like i don't know why it's suddenly an epic story we have to get their whole life so it, it's a lot of things put together and it doesn't entirely work and it has such like a weird quirky sense of humor that like just pops up occasionally like um his neighbors when they see them gambling and they're like appalled and they like walk through the window. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Lucinda tells them off and she's like, you are horrible people, yeah. you must leave. <laughs> and then they try to leave like out the front door and she's like, the way you came and makes them like walk through a window yeah. again. It's just like so quirky and very like, it's funny. It is funny, but yeah. it's like, Okay, this is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird, but... And also, it doesn't fit anything else. Like, no. I think that's the point. It doesn't fit anything else. Like, sometimes, to, to your point, there is a scene like this, and it, like, works as a scene, but it doesn't fit the rest of the story. Like, you, you know, what is happening? Like, okay, yeah. why is this here? Why is, why is this story taking this turn? But I feel like that's a very Australian way of making films. Like, it reminds me a lot of, like, The Dressmaker and, like, how the beginning is so, like, quirky and weird. And then it, like, shifts into this tone where it becomes very dark. Um, where, like, the humor is just, like, very, like, slapsticky almost. But then, like, as it goes, there's, like, different elements and different tones that they, like, throw in. Something that I wanted to bring up that you were talking about Kate being cast as Lucinda and like how she's a prototype and how she's a feminist. And what I love about it is that they took a chance on like a no one. Yeah. And cast her in this role. It was Rafe's first film after English Patient. Yeah. It was Jillian's first film after Little Women. I'm sure there was some hype about it. It had won the Man Booker Prize. 
So there was it's, obvious... It was probably a thought after part, yeah. Yeah, so the fact that they went with an unknown in this part and took a gamble on her, I think is great. Because I feel like Hollywood is very limited in their ideas of like who they want to mm-hmm. cast in things. Mm-hmm. And they like go with people who have like proven like box office or like that people will know by name. And I love that they were able to actually give Kate a chance in this film. And probably the reason they were able to is that Armstrong was coming off Little Women and Ray Fiennes was coming off The English Patient. Otherwise, they would have just had to say yes to whoever the studio wanted. So what names do you think were being thrown around for this part? And is there any actress from 1997 that she would have wanted to see play Lucinda? I mean, I, I, just because of my brilliant career, I said Judy Davis would have played this part. Uh, but Judy Davis is, I don't know how much older than Kate she is. And Lucinda starts as a teenager, so probably she was not the right person at that time yeah. to play it. Is there anybody you think of? So I kind of picture Julia Roberts in this part <laughs> because it's such like a Julia Roberts mid-90s, like I'm being a dramatic actress, like her Mary Riley stuff. Oh, yeah. and like her, She was like trying to do these period pieces to prove that she was not just like the romantic comedy star. So I can totally picture Julia Roberts trying to do this role and them casting Julia Roberts because she's such a big name. Yeah. And this is the year of my best friend's wedding, yes, right? Yeah. So imagine if Kate did my best friend's wedding, which would never happen because Kate was not a name. Yeah. That but... would be so good. <laughs> she needs to do, has she ever done like a traditional romantic comedy like that? She Thank needs... God he made Lizzie, which I guess No was. one's seen that, Murtada, come on. <laughs> even I haven't seen it. <laughs> is it even available? I don't think it is because I tried looking for it. It's not. Not in the U.S. anyway. I guess Sundays with Kate will never have a complete filmography then. (laughs) Yeah, that's one we can't do. But, you know, I mean, Kate is coming to the age when Meryl did Prada. So maybe she can still do it and get that mainstream comedy going. I'd love to see her do it. Yeah. Because she does comedy well. Yeah, she does. It. Yeah, she's just funny. Like when you see her in talk shows, she's very funny. Yeah, well, she herself, yeah, she's very quirky. Like even when she does like awards presentations and stuff, like remember when she did the makeup presentation and she was like, that was gross. <laughs> yes, that's one of my favorite moments. Or even when she was presenting Best Actor to um, Eddie Redmayne and she goes, okie dokie, Smokey, for no reason. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> So yeah, so we, we need that sense of humor in the movies. Also, I remember um, when she did a David Letterman interview. I think it was for Elizabeth. Also, because this is how obsessed with actresses I was. Mm-hmm. I had VHS tapes, and I would record their talk show performances, um, like on Rosie and like David oh God, Letterman wow. and like all of these things. And he was like, it was for Elizabeth, and he was like, you know what? you're winsome. And she's like, like a pack of smokes. And he was like, those are Winstons. (laughs) I'll have to find the clip of that. That's very funny. Let's talk about the last part of the movie. So Rafe goes on this trip that we keep mentioning and then it ends and he gets, he wins the bet basically. And the the church is delivered to where it's supposed to be before other things happen. And then there is this very odd scene with the governess. 
well, there's this horny governess in the film who keeps showing up whenever new men show up. And she's like, I'm going to get me a man. And like gets on that horse and like goes into town. And she's like, I need dick. Yes. And she does. And she is literally on screen fishing for Rafe's dick. Yes. <laughs> and then she gets it. Yeah, But it's like, she... It's, she raped him. Like, she raped him. It's, yeah. It is, yeah, that's what she did. But also, like, I, it's an odd scene, again. This movie has a lot of odd scenes. But also, like, I admired this movie in 1997, doing this literal fishing of a dick and a rape, which is something that you will not see in any movie, at least an American movie, these days. Mm. Movies have become so chaste. And this is not, like, an explicitly sexual scene. Everybody's closed. You don't see any flesh... But it's still, the scene is there, you know? Yeah. And it is not a subtext or it is not behind a curtain. It's, you know, the camera is on the actors as these things happen. And she is riding that dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his ticks, he has his hands around his face like, what's happening right now? I don't know. Yeah. It is an, uh, it's... Like, this is the tone of this movie. Like, we're laughing because the scene is kind of funny, but it also is a traumatizing scene because it's yeah, it's a definitely. rape. So that's that's kind of this movie. That's the tone of this movie. So anyway, so then this woman gets pregnant and she has a kid, which I guess is Oscar's son and the narrator's father. I think it's his... Oh, yes, his father because yeah. Oscar's his grandfather. Yeah. yeah. And then the movie implies or it ends with basically, even though he won the bet against Lucinda... Uh, Siren Hines come back to tidy up the plot and make sure that Lucinda doesn't lose her inheritance and that and then she raises the child. Well, also, I believe the horny governess dies in childbirth. So she didn't know about the bet at all. But then also, if she had, she died anyway, which is why Lucinda ends up raising the child. Which, and she dies off screen. So we that's one of the other things that it's just like, okay, you just told me this whole story and then... You just have Siren Hines appear in voiceover, or is it the narrator? I don't even remember. One of them tell me that this woman died off screen. Yeah. But even that is, like, inferred. Yeah. It's never explicit. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you liked this, this ending when you saw it, right? So, not necessarily that aspect. Okay. okay. What I loved about the ending was, again, like, this, like, tragedy. So, he after... Um, Oscar has been taken advantage of. He feels like he has to honor this woman. He felt like he took advantage of her since it's like his first experience. So he's distraught and he goes into the glass church and the water, The it starts, the, um, the platform that it's on starts to shift and the glass starts breaking and he starts... He's inside. He's inside it still. Um, also something we learned from the, the narration at the very beginning of the movie is that he has a fear of water. So it kind of feels like that Chekhov, like if you have a gun in the first act, you have to use it by the end. It kind of feels like it's this ine inevitable thing mm -hmm. that his fear of water is eventually the thing that destroys him. And he does end up drowning within this glass church that was built for Lucinda for to show that he cared for her so I felt like there was like this romantic aspect about like that tragedy um 
I also just love the look of that glass church. It's it's, it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the film. It's yes. so gorgeous, like the the lattice work on it, and it's just something so delicate about like this glass church that's completely impractical. <laughs> and I love that scene where her um, her stepfather, not her stepfather, but the man who kind of raises her is like, it's Australia. They're going to burn up. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. But like, it doesn't matter because it's beautiful. It just like has this like element about it. But then also, so he has this tragic ending, but the, the thing that really affected me when I was younger was um, the church, they're able to, save it like at least the frame of it and it's on the bank and lucinda has shown up at the Mm -hmm. end of the movie yeah (laughs) because of course she has she's found her way there um and she goes into the church as well so she's basically standing in the place that oscar died and the emotions overtake her and she just starts weeping and i remember being younger and being like overtaken by those emotions that she was experiencing at the time and that's why you loved the movie at the time. I know. I was such an emotional teenager. <laughs> I guess we all were, right? Yeah. You're like, I have all the feelings. Um, and then, like, the fact that she decides to raise Oscar's child as her own, I think, is also, like, one of those, like, heartbreaking things. Like, mm-hmm. oh, only in movies. Yeah. That, like, ties it up, like, nicely. Yeah. I have to say, I haven't seen this movie. This was my first time seeing it. I mean, there is enough interesting and eccentric stuff in there to make it a good and worthwhile watch. So it's really an interesting movie. Do you agree? I do agree. Also, because I feel like my attention span now, if I don't see a movie in the movie theater, I get very distracted. But for the whole thing for this, I watched the whole thing. I was engaged the whole time. No, so that's good recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) You won't check your phone. (laughs) So now that we've talked about Oscar and Lucinda, I want to ask you, Andy, about um, some questions about Kate Blanchett and about actresses in general. So you obviously are into movies and you're very dedicated to actresses because you saw Elizabeth and went back and watched these two other movies. So mm-hmm. who was your first love, you know, your first actress love, let's say? So I think the first time that it happened was just a couple years before with Kate Winslet in Sense and Sensibility. So I like fell in love with her in that performance. And so then I went back to like see what performances she had done before, which was only two. She had done uh, (laughs) Heavenly Creatures and everyone's favorite, A Kid in King Arthur's Court. I've never even heard of this movie until this minute. What? It's (laughs) So it's a Disney movie. This kid goes back in time. He's a baseball (laughs) player in the 90s. He goes back to King Arthur's court and Kate Winslet plays... Guinevere? No, not even that. Oh, okay. (laughs) So Arthur's like old in this version and he has two daughters. One is the love interest for the young boy and the other is Kate who's like... I don't know, like 17. And she is disguising herself as this knight that like steals from the rich to give to the poor. But everyone thinks it's a man because it's a knight. But so she's like this like mystical character. Um, and I believe that uh, who's, someone else has placed her love interest that's really famous. It's Daniel Craig is oh. in it. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Daniel he Craig. and Elizabeth. <laughs> was he? Yes. I don't remember him in Elizabeth. He was the Pope's assassin. Uh, he was always in cloak. So you can't really see his face, really. But 
But yeah, so those were her two movies that I had to go back and see. And I remember um, I was like 15, I guess, and um, I had rented Heavenly Creatures. And so, so Kate Winslet is your number one. Is she still your number one? So, yes and no. <laughs> she always has that special place to me, but I really want her to be better now. You know what I mean? Like she hasn't, when was the, she hasn't made a film since Wonder Wheel, which was like two years ago. Was that after Steve Jobs? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was her last film. I thought she was good in that movie. The movie itself is crazy and like a lot of her motivations don't make any sense, but she's still trying to sell it. Um, but I can see like the good performance that like can emerge from what the film is. She's when she was younger, she had this emotion that was just like she went out there. She was so raw. She just like like lit up the screen, I felt. And now as she gets older, I feel like she is very studied. Like people always talk about if you see Kate Winslet's um, scripts, like on the margins, they're just filled with notes and just like so much research, which is good. But then at the same time, now you see like the wheels turning in her performances. You don't see her like just letting loose and like being a character. You see her very mannered like, this is the part where I'm going to purse my lips. And this is the part where, because it's written in the notes of her scripts, apparently. <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree that in those early performances of hers, she was somebody who was just jumping off. Yeah. So unafraid. Yeah. So brilliant. Like Heavenly Creatures, she is so good in that. And yeah. she is, like, well, she said it was her first time in a film, so she had nothing to lose. So she just, mm -hmm. like, gave it all. And I missed that, Kate. I wish that 43-year-old Kate Winslet now could still give a performance like that. But I think that she's too, a little bit too mannered now. Yeah, I agree with that. Is there a performance in Kate's filmography that you think only you like. I remember, so the episode that you had with Manuel where you were talking about bandits yeah. and he was like, no one remembers bandits and <laughs> she got it, but she got a Golden Globe nomination. I remember at the time because I was already like in my Kate obsession that I did really love her in that movie, especially like, cause she was so quirky and fun and like she, I was like, oh, she can be so funny. Look at her like with singing like Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yeah. But I think that the performance that no one ever discusses that I think she's brilliant in is The Good German. I love that too. She's so good in it. And I remember at the time when it came out, George Clooney was like, just you wait until you see her in this. She's going to get another Oscar nomination for it. It didn't happen, but she's she's the best part of that movie by far. Tobey Maguire is really miscast, mm -hmm. but she's like doing this Marlena Dietrich like deep voice, like with her German accent, mm -hmm. and like I, her introduction is just like her finding her light, and it's very, it's just like like a movie star performance, but because she she's doing like accents and different things, it still has like nuance and enough in it that makes it like a, a really engaging Kate Blanchett performance. And she looks so good in black beautiful, and white. Yes. I think it's the most beautiful she's ever looked on screen. In the good German, yes. I, but, I like that. But I don't think anyone talks about the good no, German. <laughs> Maybe you and I can right talk now, about yeah. it. <laughs> the next podcast. <laughs> so, you know, she's acted with a lot of 
men with a lot of women, Rafe and Dame Judy and Rooney and lots of people. Who is your um, favorite Kate scene partner? So I know everyone, I'm gonna go against the grain because I know everyone says that they love her with Rooney. But for me, that performance doesn't do anything for me. Carol Rooney or Kate? No, Carol. Like, I know everyone is now going to be, like, sending me hate mail. <laughs> but I've seen it three times. And every single time, I'm just like, it's behind glass. I can't penetrate it. Like, So you don't not... like the film? Yeah, I don't like the film. So yeah. um, everyone keeps saying that Rooney Mara is um, their favorite partner. But I don't. She's not mine. My favorite Kate Blanchett scene partner is Kate Blanchett and <laughs> coffee and cigarettes. She's so good, like playing off of each other, like herself, yeah. because she knows she already knows what the other character is, but they're so different, and she like plays off of herself so well. Mm -hmm. I really do love that. It's performance. such a funny performance too, because she's playing. A heightened version of herself. Yeah. She's playing herself as this flighty movie star. Yeah. And then she plays her resentful cousin. That's like really dirty <laughs> and like very like country for as much yeah. as like Australia. I don't know if like if there's like hillbillies in Australia, but like that's what she's playing. She's like this like rough character and then like the uh, the real the Kate Blanchett like movie star characters so like pristine and like oh what are, what are you up to and like <laughs> I like that answer it's a great answer who would you like to see her work with and this could be a director a custom designer an actor whoever um I would love to see her work with another f a female director I don't have anyone in mind but um I do really want to see her play with Kate Winslet. I know a couple people have also said that. Yeah. But I don't feel like she gets cast in roles where she plays against females a lot. Like she had Carol with Rooney and she has Judy and Notes on the Scandal. But for the oh, most part... You didn't part, like Ocean's 8? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Did anyone? No. I liked Annie in it. She seemed to be having fun. But I completely forgot that Kate Blanchett was in that. She's so butch in it too. Yeah. I, I do really want to see her with Kate Winslet just because they're my two favorite actresses, two mm -hmm. of my favorite actresses working with each other. But and all, they became famous around the same time. I know, yeah. and there's so many things that like are similar with them. They both have the exact same number of Oscar nominations mm. with the exact same number in each category. Um, Lead and supporting. Yes, yes the, like both of them are named Kate. Like, there you go. But I don't know in what aspect I would want them to be in a film together. But something that maybe like a Thelma and Louise type thing, mm, yeah. or like even in like a, a romantic comedy where they're it's not maybe an erotic thriller. <laughs> Definitely an erotic thriller. So screenwriters, if you're listening to this podcast, write an erotic thriller for Kate Blanchett and Kate Winslet. And we can have Jane Campion direct. <laughs> yes, great choice. So what do, is there something that people think of of Blanchett that? you kind of don't agree with, like her perception in the culture. Kate is one of those people who does have, like who she is as an actress, I think is who people perceive her as. There's So there's like red carpet Kate, where she's yeah. like glamorously dressed and can apparently even make a dress that looks like a caftan look like it's couture. Yeah. And she hasn't really tapped into like 
who she is like on talk shows like within that persona but i i feel that she also which is why she should make a comedy yeah but i feel like there's part of her that like meryl wants to keep private things private like you don't she doesn't really talk about her family i feel that she has that thing with meryl where if there is if you know too much about them you can't buy them in certain roles or, like, you can't disappear into this character that they're playing. And I feel like she has that, like, movie star quality, but she's also an actress. Mm -hmm. So that she knows that this is a craft as well and she wants to keep aspects of that so that there's still a mystery. Yeah, she's not Jennifer Aniston. Exactly. Well, Jennifer Aniston only played Jennifer (laughs) Aniston. (laughs) Yeah. But there is a middle ground, you know, maybe bridging those two personas together in, not in her private, not showing us more of her private life, but in a role in movies. Yeah. But I do think that she's um, an actress that people admire, that people, when you say Kate Blanchett, I don't, I don't think there's anyone, I'm sure there is, someone's going to be like, no, I hate her. But I think that when you say Kate Blanchett, people are like, oh, I love Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Yes. She is an admirable person. Yeah. And so our friend Jose Solis, who was on the podcast for the Ripley podcast, has said to me on Twitter that he will start a drinking game and have a shot every time I call her impeccable. (laughs) Apparently, I call her impeccable a lot in this podcast. But she is. So (laughs) if you're listening and you think Kate is impeccable... Tweet at me at Sundays with Kate telling me that she's impeccable. And do your shot. <laughs> and do your shot. A Stoli Martini. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much, Andy. This It was great having you. This was a great conversation. And before we go, why don't you let people where they can find you on social media? So I guess the biggest social media platform that, my, that I'm on is Instagram, and my Instagram handle is abstew81. It's a play on my name, Andrew Boyd Stewart. So, and Andy is great on Instagram, so give him a follow. And <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says, and find the podcast at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.